that time it a lot of uh, young men you know they try to break their leg or they try to shoot themselves to stay home rather than go to the front line in the time it's I almost you know I, I think about that but uh, I decide oh why I need to destroy my body injury my body and I say if you die you die you know You're listening to the podcast Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. Hi, I'm Tracy Nguyen Ming, and welcome back. Real quick before we start the show, I wanted to let you know that Vietnamese Boat People is holding an open call for submissions for the second annual Maeviek Story Slam. It's a live virtual event where you, the community, get to share your story. Visit our website at vietnameseboatpeople.org forward slash story slam for more details. It's hard to believe that we're already in season four of the show. This season, we bring you The Search, stories about individuals looking for someone or something. And whether they find it or not, the hope is that the journey in itself could bring some healing, answers, or even closure. We don't want to join the, the war, uh, join the army because we're afraid of war. It, you know, we, we heard, we see a lot of people, you know, uh, dead in the uh, fighting. I met Chu Quang through his daughter, Michelle. She had contacted our organization after listening to the show. Chu Quang is a father of three, a South Vietnam veteran and a Vietnamese refugee. He was born in Hanoi in 1953, and when the Geneva Accord divided Vietnam into two along the 17th parallel, his father uprooted the family to migrate south to Saigon. The country's split was intended to be temporary, only until 1956, at which time the two zones were to be reunified under a supervised election. But we all know that did not happen. Instead, a civil war began between the North and the South. He stays in there, worked with the Vietnamese embassy at that time. And after uh, the first government get overthrown, and then he decided he go to France to uh, get the uh, political asylum. November 1963 was when President of South Vietnam Ngo Dinh Diem was assassinated. Duke Wang's father was also stationed in Germany for the Vietnam Embassy. Fearing retribution, he sought political asylum in France. He left behind in Vietnam Duke Wang, who was only 10 years old, his two older sisters, and their mother. What I remember is my mom come home, you know, during on the uh, they overthrow the government, and mom uh, come home and he say, uh, and uh, Ông Diệm bị giết với ông Nhu. Both brother get killed, and ông Nhu is, uh, I think, advisor. Then uh, the mom say, "Oh, that means uh, your father will be come home soon." Because after that, uh, she think you know they, they will recall everybody come back. But my father, he decide uh, go to friend and seeking uh, asylum. I think the rule of the government at that time. At the high school, national high school, at Jam 
Before you pass that, but Vietnamese we call two tài một thì two tài. I didn't pass the test, and then they had a rap. You know, like if you don't pass the test, you need to join the army. <laughs> When I um, didn't pass the test, and then supposed to be, you know, go to the the army post, and then you know surrender, and then join the army, you know, to comply with the the law. But uh, actually, I go hiding. You know, like I don't want to join, and then I just stay home. In Vietnam, high school students are required to take the national high school graduation exam. The score determines the schools at which students are able to enroll, and the higher the score, the more likely you are able to enter a prestigious university. The exam was known to be quite difficult, with a low percentage pass rate. At the time, if you did not pass the exam, you were automatically drafted to go to war. Du Guang did not pass the exam. Few scared and few, you know, like don't care. We go, you know, my mind at that time, it, I already, oh, I go hiding. I don't want to join anything. I just want to go hiding and then find a way to to escape that. And then I join with my friend, you know, go to uh, go to Vũ Trường. And then one weekend, and then I decide, you know, go with them. When we go there, and then they have a they call the checkpoint, you know, the army checkpoint. And then if you your ID not matched, that you don't have an ID, they will capture you, and then they take you to you know the army camp. So you went with your friends to some of the nightclubs, and then at the checkpoint coming home, you had to show your ID, and they saw that you had been drafted. Like now, it we have uh, the real ID. They do that in Vietnam. They call the the new ID that the căn cước, cái thẻ căn cước. If you don't have that thẻ căn cước, là that mean it uh, you illegal. You supposed to in the army. And if I, in the army, I have a, you know the ID, the army ID to show them, but I don't have it. Then that they know it's I'm uh, you know don't want to join the army. So you never got the new ID because you were hiding. Yeah. Okay. And so they took you to what camp? What's the name of the camp? Trường Quân Sự Quang Trung. They bring there. They you know just just like the big con concentration camp. Uh, they check your uh, background and everything, and then they, you need to go to uh, practice because they they have a program like three months to practice. He trained for three months on the side of South Vietnam under the guidance of the U.S. military. And when graduation came, he was selected to join the special task force unit. After you graduation, they call the graduation, ngày mãn khóa, and then they uh, some unit they come to pick you. I somehow I get picked by uh, they call the chin sát quân đoàn ba, and that you know the the division three around Saigon and Biên Hòa, Long Thanh. Uh, they send me to one moment in. Uh, Training special training down in Nha Trang. You know, like uh, parachute, jump out from the airplane. Uh, airplane. That time, it a lot of uh, young men. You know, they try to break their leg or they try to shoot themselves to stay home rather than go to the front line. In the time, it's I almost you know I I think about that, but uh, I decide oh why I need to destroy my body injury my body and I say. If you die, you die, you know. After that, they send me back to um, the unit that uh, handle on the location between um, uh, Long Khánh, Bình Tuy, 
uh, that, that the triangle of the um, the Viet uh, Vietnamese uh, uh, the Viet Cong from the north and that my unit go there to uh, to station there and then you know to do the uh, recon in the special task force unit he had to disguise as a local villager and would survey the land people and movements of the enemy yeah we uh, you know disguise like the village people and then you know try, try to you know get close to the enemy see what the movement of them and then report them and then they send you know like the the airplane for the rock the bomb April is the heavy movement of the north. They try to cut the highway of the Dalat and the army of the people, you know, pass by and then they on the jeep, on the Motorola truck, they transport heavy equipment and then heavy fort. Two days before the fall of Saigon, Zhu Guang and his men were stationed in a small village when they lost contact and communications with their main unit. You know, they have a, um, the, the farm, you know, like the people grow and then they have a, you know, take joy. Yeah? The farmer after work and then they, they go to take break. And then we, we just stay there and then, you know. So the locals kn- knew that you were there hiding? Uh, some local, they know. They know. And they were helping to hide you? Uh... They don't bother, you know, they, they know it's uh, the war. There were seven people total in his group. They were all hiding. They all had suspicions that the South had lost the war. But without direct command, they chose to remain at their post. After the third day with no communications, one soldier wanted to abandon the assignment and go find his family. So Zhu Guang released him. He has not heard from him since. The other men stayed with him. After the April and then go to May 5th, that the, the day I remember, when the, the, the old lady, and then uh, she walked in there and she saw it and then she said, you need, you guys need to go home. The war is over. The war is over. I feel kind of relieved. Do we have a chance to come back uh, to see our family? You know? After the, the lady, uh, you know, tell us, and then we just drop everything, you know, we just throw um, the weapon in the river and we say, okay, we need to go out and then hopefully don't get caught. But uh, the lady take us uh, back to her, her home. The young uh, son and then of, of her come out, oh, you need to surrender to the government because they have program. Zhu Guang thought about instructing his men to run home to their families or to go hide, but it was too late. The men came out and surrendered to the north. The villagers were already cooperating with the authorities. Because it's not easy. First thing, it, uh, the area, it, uh, the village people, it, they you know, work with the police. If they see any movement uh, different, then they will report. The men had to document their personal profiles, and where they ranked in their unit. The higher ranking you were, the more you were considered a risk. Even though Zhu Guang ran his small unit, he was not considered to be a big threat. He was sent to re-education camp for three months, where he lived in poor living conditions and endured manual labor every day. 
they don't let me, you know, contact with the family or anything. Did your mom know that you were alive? No, at that time she didn't know. She said, I believe my, my son's still alive. When he was released, he was 22 years old. He returned to home, back to Saigon, but it wasn't the same Saigon that he had remembered. The daily life very changed very much. Like in the house, you cannot listen to the music, you know, the old music, or you cannot listen to the VOA, the voice of the America. He returned home to find only his mom, his two older sisters who had worked for the U.S. Embassy as translators were able to flee the country through the American organized evacuations. His mom refused to go with them, believing that her son was still alive. She chose to stay behind and wait for him to return from war. The first thing is, she saw me and she said, I know it, I know it, you come home. And then, uh, you know, at me, uh, you hungry? Zhu Guang had a hard time finding a job, given his background with South Vietnam. His mom and him lived off of small food rations provided by the government, rations they still had to purchase under government-controlled prices. He recalls the portions being barely enough for both of them. His mom often took some of the rations and would try to sell them in the black market to make any small profit she could. They had a distant uncle in Hanoi who had fought on the side of the North. After the war had ended, he became a high-ranking officer. So his mom called up the uncle, asked him to help her son find a job. With the uncle's help, Duke Wang got a job in construction to renovate old South Vietnamese government buildings for the new political party. One day at work, he noticed a flyer for tryouts for the Vietnamese national soccer team. To his surprise, he made it. And because Vietnam was trying to build a reputation in sports, they were paying their players very well in larger rations than most families or individuals were receiving. I believe it. Uh like everywhere we go and we heard about, you know, when we sit down on the street, uh, the coffee street, we heard about, oh, uh, this family, they just, uh, you know, escaped by boat uh, last night or last week. And then a lot of uh, talking about, you know, how to escape the country by boat. At that time, it, that the trend, 78, my mom put me one time to escape from Vũng Tàu, you know, go to by boat. But that failed. They say pay money and go to that meeting and to the to the plate to see that, and then they pick you up and then they take you to the mother boat, and then from there go. But when you go to the meeting plate, nobody there. In his first attempt, they got scammed. He told me that he didn't really want to escape. It was too risky, and with his increased compensation from the soccer team. He felt they were living comfortably, relative to everyone else. But his mom insisted. She said that he was still young and that this job was not going to be forever, and that the country was too unstable. He needed to think about his future. The second time, my mom uh, found the couple, it um, friend of 
of her because she friend of uh, their mom and they, they talk about you know like they, they plan to escape and then my mom heard that and she joined and she say you need a hand at my son you know my son he he the the old soldier of the south she convinced them that her son would be an asset given his military and special task force training he could help them plan the escape and in return would not have to pay the five ounces of gold required to be a part of the escape. My mom keeps saying, you need to go. And then I say, okay, you, know, you, you want me go, I, I do it. I will join them. The gold collected from the escape route was used to fund the plan. They needed a fishing boat. Through connections, they purchased materials and had a small one made. They also had to bribe a local official to obtain a fisherman license and every day they would take the boat out to sea, disguise as fishermen, catch fish, and sell the fish at the docks so that the authorities would get used to seeing them each day. The local government, they see you uh, the real fishermen, not, not like, you know, try to make something illegal. And then the boat, and then the buyer, the, the, the plate to get out, like, you know, people need to go in and we need to gather people, you know, like during the day, and then they need to come in, like visit the owner of the boat there, and then, you know, stay in the, stay in the barn. They also had to purchase a place to hide the 52 people on the day of the escape. Planning all of this took over a year. There were 10 families, 12 were children, including a nine-year-old boy named Behan. Zhu Guang said he snuck onto the boat at the last minute with no family or friends. His name was not on the list, but Zhu Guang let him on anyways. It, uh, on that night, it, uh, we come out with monsoon season, you know, raining and then the tropical storm. We pick out on that. And then we say that day it's uh, kind of wide, wide open. We can take chance in the, the small barn and then we load the people to go out on the small boat, like about three small boats to go out to meet the, the model boat. As soon as we load up everything and then we start the engine to run and then the, um, like the coast guard, they chase us. You know, they, they start you know, flashing the light and then they, they chase us. We saw that and we say, oh my God, uh, what do we do now? He had brought an M16 rifle after hearing stories about pirates and rape at sea. He pulled out the rifle and fired a few shots. They see the shot and then they say, okay, why we bother, you know, like to chase them because they head out to the sea and they, they, they don't survive anyway because they know the storm coming. We didn't know. If you see the movie, uh, The Perfect Storm, you know, when the, the, the boat hit the, again the way, and I say that, that my boat exactly like that. In the year it took them to plan the escape, this was much worse than they had ever imagined, and they were not prepared. On the sixth day, the storm waves pushed the boat into a coral reef and broke it into two. 
Passengers were thrown into the waters and eventually were pushed onto a beach along with remnants of the boat. It all happened so quickly, and when Zhu Guang felt sand under his feet, he quickly grabbed two kids next to him, one in each arm, and started running onto the shore. When I set the kid on the sand and I say, okay, you guys need to stay here, don't go anywhere, and then I, I go along uh, the beach and then try to looking for everybody, and then I found the people, you know, we pull the people, and then I told them, okay, go to the other two kids waiting for us. After we gather people around, then we count in head, and we count it's only 50. And I know that means two, two missing. And then me and two guys go down back to the beach and looking for the people. But we go in along the beach and we hauling, we call name, and we don't see anything. It was too dark and they weren't able to find the two missing people. They decided that they needed to help the group find shelter and would try again in the morning. The group did not know what beach they had landed on. Luckily, a local TV crew spotted them and called the UN and Red Cross that more refugees had arrived. And then they send uh, two people from the UN Rescue come in. They load us into uh, to the, the truck and they take to the, the train Ganu camp. They had arrived on the coast of Malaysia and were brought to the refugee camp on Bindong Island. At the camp, people were asked to volunteer to go collect dead bodies on the beach. Chukwang volunteered the very next day. That was when he found the two missing passengers from his boat. Then they go to the, the area at night, we don't know where is that, but we saw the people lay there, you know, lie on the beach, but you know, decompose because the water and everything. They lay on the beach and then they say, okay, pick that up and put in the, the truck. And then me and the three guys, uh, two of each, come down and then I think we pick up more than a dozen uh, body. Same like two people on my boat, she flew out the boat when the wave put it broken and then the boat broken, she fly out and then the boat hit, you know, the one side they hit her and then Kaya snapped her lung and then she died from there. And then one, the other guy fly out and I think hit, hit, hit something and then he conjured and then he get around. When we pick up, it, what we do is, first thing we don't know, we thought, you know, the, the people just die and because uh, too, too many they in the water, right? And then the, the flesh, when you're holding the, the, the leg, you know, to put that into the bunker to, to the carrier, the flesh is just, just like jello and you feel the bone. We don't have, a, you know, like the glove or anything. Just by, by hand and just grab that and put couple guys just, you know, throw up the kind of oil. But, you know, actually say, oh, okay, just try to hold your breath and then don't look at that yet, holding and put in the banca and then finish the job. Like uh, some animal just throw it there and then that's it. And then within the next few days, Zhu Guang got very sick. I lay down and then I get the 
I get hit by the the hot fever, you know, the fever, and knock me out of consciously. Take me like six days. When I wake up with, uh, you know, the little kid, that kid named uh, Behan, he not uh, on the lead to go with us, but, you know, he sneak in, you know. He just jump in and then join the ride with us by himself. And then when, when I wake up and then next to me, it's him. He sit there and then, uh, and I ask uh, where we are and then he said okay in the island and uh, you uh, but the sick day he the one that you know go to ask the the people do the uh, nấu cơm he asked for the cái nước cơm nước nấu cơm then he bring back and then you know he tried to feed me when I in a coma he feed me sick day like that and then uh, you know he can get the clean water and then kind of wipe my feet because he say to uh, your body is uh, very hot like you burning after i wake up and then i feel hungry and then he go out to call my friend when he jump in uh, you know on the small boat to to go out i didn't know but you know when we he go up to the big boat the the mother boat we saw him and then he not you know in the list and i say what the heck if he want to go let him go you know? Because when the time I let him, and then I say, okay, you, you need to be, uh, be good. And then I think he had a love for me because he saw nobody, you know, even my friend, they don't know what to do. And they just left for their, he just, you know, come to check me out, like I'm still breathing and then that's it. When I wake up, I saw him and I, I feel very energy, a lot of energy. And then the first thing that I walk out the, to the tent and then I go to the ocean. And then I keep looking up, look up at the sky, and then just crying, and, and you know, like thank God. You know, a lot of people are sick, and uh, you know, some people die. Some people die in the ocean, or some people die on the silly thing in the island. But I'm even sick, and then no medicine, anything, and then somehow it, my body revive, and then go through that. Do you think you would have been alive if Behan wasn't there? I always thankful, you know, for Behan to stay with me through the audio like that. After months at camp, he was able to interview with different countries for resettlement. Interview with the country, and over there at that time, the rule they said you have a two choice: the first country of your parent living. At that time, I have my my father living friend my mom lived in vietnam for sure i don't want to go back to vietnam and then the second one is uh, my sister live in uh, california u.s but they say the rule is you need to go with your parent and then when uh, the friend they interview me and then they know my my father in friend and then they automatically they say okay you granted go to friend but uh, i have a second interview with the u.s the first thing they ask, have any relationship with the American government? And I told them I was trained by the 101 Airborne Unit. Weeks later, he was notified that he had priority to come to the United States to reunite with his sisters. This priority was given because of his background with the U.S. military. But uh, when the time they, they call me up to the boat to go to the Malaysia to fly to U.S., and then I say, wait a minute, I have a problem. My net fuel is uh, need to go with me, Behan. And then, you know, the guy kind of get mad on me. Why you don't tell me the before? I say, oh, because you don't ask and I don't know. I play dumb with that. And then 
you know, they say, okay, tell me, bring the kid up. Ehan had to be interviewed, and a proper investigation had to be conducted to verify that they were related. Members from his escape group were interviewed, and everyone backed up the story. All this pushed Zhu Guang's resettlement back by another three to four months. And everybody know, you know, the kid, uh, you know, helped me a lot. And then until July 78, they, they grant me and uh, Behan go to U.S. After they find out, you know, I'm a real one. And then the kid is uh, not worried about I'm kidnapped. He saved my life. When they finally got to the U.S. and reunited with his sisters, Zhu Guang was determined to try to find Behan's family. After we uh, meet my family and I stay in uh, my uh, sister apartment and we contact to Vietnam, we, we ride out to Vietnam to tell my mom, okay, Behan, you know, to explain to my mom and looking for his family. And my mom would go down and track down who Behan is and then she find out the, the family and uh, they found his end in San Diego because she married with the GI, and then she fly out on 75. And after we get the, the address and the phone number, my sister called them and contact and say, hey, you, you have your nephew named this, this, and stay with us. And uh, they come in, and then they make an appointment and then say, okay, weekend we come to see you guys. When they come in, the first thing, uh, they only say thank you, and then they, they pick up the kid. They say, oh, they need to hurry to go. For a while, I didn't have a chance to contact with him again. And then I realized that means hit end thing, you know, I bring him here and then we'll be asking for the money. And that's why they, they come in in a hurry. And the only thing I know is uh, they legit because the kid know the hit end. They kind of hugging and then the kid know hit end. And then that's the one thing, good thing I know. Okay, that's good. Even the phone number, we they call us, they talk with us. I talk with them. They change the phone number. And then at that time, it's, I busy with, you know, my job. I, I start uh, go to school at night and then work on the day, you know, busy with life. And then I say, we forgot about that. But later on, it we sit down talking with my wife and then we try to looking back and try to find out what's going on with Behan. That's the thing I regret is I don't know. Much of Zhu Guang's fate in life had been decisions that others had made for him. He was drafted to a war he didn't want to fight. He was stationed in hiding during the last days of Saigon, his mom organizing his escape. And surviving near death on Bindong Island, that, he said, was a choice from God. He did, however, make two decisions that forever changed the fate of a young boy named Behan. Right now, maybe he about maybe 50-something. But how he'd lie, you know, how his uh, family, and all kind of thing, that I regret, I didn't know. And I regret that he didn't know about my lie too, you know. Do you have any pictures of you or Behan? No. So you haven't I'm, seen him since he was picked up by his aunt? Yeah, and that that's my big regret, is Have you told your children about Behan? Oh, yeah, we, we told them. He's, he's a man now. He's in his yeah. 50s, yeah. I told him, but he right now is 40, or not, <laughs> not bear no more. But uh, that's the thing I regret, and I told him. 
I asked Zhu Guang if he saw Bihan today. What would he say to him? I want to say him. I want to see him before I left this school. I don't know, but the only thing I know, thank God that you're still alive and you're a man now. If you're listening to this episode and know someone whose background may fit the story of Behan, please contact us at stories at vietnameseboatpeople.org. We are hoping by sharing this story, we can reunite two lost friends, an uncle and the nephew who saved his life. For more details on this episode, follow our Instagram or Facebook page at Vietnamese Boat People and look for details under episode 24. And a quick shout out to Darlena Jim, our associate producer on this episode. I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and thank you for helping us preserve history. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And please, take a moment to rate us and provide us feedback. And if you have a story to share, contact us at stories at vietnameseboatpeople.org.